This morning, I want to um, start a four-week series of messages leading up to Easter. It really doesn't have a lot to do with, with Easter per se, but just in praying about uh, what to preach the next few weeks, God just kept taking me back to what I'm going to share. And I'm going to do a, a four-week series entitled Spirit that's going to be a study about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And folks, I just, I just, I'm convinced that both in my own personal walk with the Lord, um, boy, if you, if you don't know and know how to walk in the, the fullness of the Spirit, there's no way in the world you're ever going to live the Christian life like God intended for you to live it. We, um, th there, there's so much failure in our walk, so much weakness in the church. Uh, so many claim to know Jesus and they don't walk in his fullness and in his power. Yet God has promised us his spirit. He's given us his spirit. We're going to see that. And he's given us his spirit to be able to work in us and through us everything we need to be able to walk in his victory and walk in his power. I'm afraid in our churches, in particular, this is true of Baptist churches. I can't speak for everybody else. I know, I know us Baptists. On, on the one hand, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit because we don't, we don't want to be considered Pentecostal or charismatic. Well, there's no, no danger of that in most Baptist churches. That's not going to, that's not going to happen. We, we certainly don't want to get caught up in some of the excesses and some of the uh, things that they've done that they've taken scripture and in many ways twisted and turned it and maybe even perverted it at times but most of us as Baptists because of that we've stuck our head in the sand we won't even talk about the Holy Spirit and as a result we have failed to understand who he is what his purpose is in our lives how he desires to work to glorify and honor Jesus in us and to give us all that we need to empower us to be the disciples of Christ that Christ has called us to be. So for these next few weeks, that's what I want to share with you. I want to talk about it for a few moments. Somebody once said this, and I totally agree with them, the key to living the Christian life in a manner that will be pleasing to Jesus is to live a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life. In fact, the truth of the matter is this. Without that, you'll never live the Christian life like God intended for you to live it. You can't. Do, do you understand this morning in our flesh, we have no capacity to be the spiritual people God's called us to be? In my flesh, I have nothing to offer God. In my flesh, I cannot even begin to be what God's called me to be. I will fail every time, and I do fail every time if I walk in the power of the flesh. But God, knowing who we are, when he saved us, put his Holy Spirit in us to empower us both to be what he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. God never requires anything of his children that he does not empower us to do. Uh, but oftentimes we, we're ignorant of his ways. We don't know about his ways. Or sometimes we even reject his ways. That's why I want us to deal with this study about the Holy Spirit. John's Gospel, and by the way, I've got a lot of verses this morning. Uh, we won't stand today. I'm not going to one primary text. There'll be many verses. There's some notes in your bulletin. I hope that you'll maybe jot down these. And by the way, I, I remember reading something sometime back about the importance of writing down what you hear. And they, they said this, the problem with mental notes is that the ink fades so quickly. <laughs> Amen. 
But there's something about writing it down that puts it both in your mind and in your heart more than just by hearing. Hearing's good, but sometimes you need to do more. So I hope you'll write these things down. And this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to go to my time runs out. It's going to take me all four weeks. This is going, I'm going to be very much as a teacher. And I want us just to walk through the scriptures to see what the Bible has to say to us about the person of the Holy Spirit and how he's to work in our life. John, the sixth chapter, first part of verse 63, the Lord Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And again, if I try to live in the flesh, and if I try to walk in the power of my flesh and my ability, I, it, it profits me nothing spiritually. I'll never grow. I'll never be what God calls me to be. I'll, I will live a life of failure in my Christian life. It is the Spirit that gives life. The Spirit gives life. John 7, verses 37 to 39, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And then one of my favorite verses about the Holy Spirit, though it does not use the title Holy Spirit here. It, it, it's one of the greatest verses to me in the Bible, but it's certainly one of the greatest verses talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. We sang about it just a moment ago. Colossians 1 verse 27, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And by the way, folks, he's the only hope we got. He's the only hope we have. So I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. In order for us to have that, we must first of all have a proper biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. We need to know who He is, how He works. Secondly, we must have a proper appropriation of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we must learn how to apply Him, walk in His fullness, allow Him to work in our hearts and our lives day in and day out. That's the purpose of what I want to share with you uh, this morning. Five facts this morning about the Holy Spirit. That's going to be our fundamental study today. That's where we're going to start. Five facts about the Holy Spirit. Much more could be said, but these of the utmost importance. Number one, the Holy Spirit was promised by the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit was promised by the, by the Lord Jesus Himself. Now understand this, the Holy Spirit has always been. He is a part of our Godhead. He is God the third person. He always has been as God the Father, God the Son has always been. The Holy Spirit has always been. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit has changed 
from the time of Christ to this present day. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Jesus promised him to his followers. Jesus promised that he would come in a different light. John the 14th chapter verses 16, 17, and 26. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and listen, and will be in you. Jesus promised he was coming. John 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. John 16, verses 7 to 14, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And then you come on down in the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 20 and 21. So Jesus said to them again, this is after he's been resurrected Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now again, being God, he always has been, always will be. You can turn in your Bible to Genesis 1, the very opening words of the Bible. You see the Trinity listed there. You see God, the Spirit, at the very beginning of our Bible. He's ministering all through the Old Testament times, but the ministry of the Spirit was different in the Old Testament than it was in the New Testament time or from the New Testament times forward. In Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would come and be with man. And this is key to understand he would follow certain people. He would work with certain individuals. His anointing would be on particular people. But after Christ, the Holy Spirit no longer came to be with people. He came to be in those who were true followers of the Lord Jesus. Now listen to that again. He didn't come just to be with people. He came to be in them. And that's the marked difference of the coming of the Holy Spirit of God from the time of Christ onward. When you come to John, the 20th chapter, Acts 2, we find the fulfillment of that initial promise of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come. He was going to be not only with his people, but he was going to be in them. And he was going to work in their lives to bring life, overflowing life to bring truth, to bring understanding, to bring everything that we needed to be able to live the Christian life in a God-honoring, pleasing manner. The Holy Spirit was promised by the Lord Jesus. Fact number two this morning, it is the Holy Spirit that leads us to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again. It is the Holy Spirit that leads every person who comes by faith to the Lord Jesus. Now, it's, it's interesting when you read through the Bible, it really, at least to my understanding of the Word of God, there are three primary 
uh, things that God uses to bring a person to himself. And in some form or fashion, probably all three of these are in play when a person is born again. Number one, God uses his law to draw us to Christ, doesn't he? I mean, there is a place for, for the law still to this day. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but it is the law of God that shows us our lostness. In fact, Paul writing to the Galatian church said this, Galatians 3 verse 24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. And when I see God's law, which describes God's holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, I'm then convicted about how far short I fall from God's standard. It is through the law of God that I see that no man will be ever justified by God, by the law. Something else has to happen. No one of us could ever live up to the moral standard of God. And it's the law of God that shows us that. Ten commandments are part of that moral law. Much of the Old Testament was a part of that. And when I see that, I see that I too am what Paul said when he wrote Romans 3.23. All have sinned, fall short of the standard or the glory of God. And because I fall short of his standard, something has to be done in my heart, my life to correct my sin problem. It's the law that tutors me to Christ. I remember as a 12-year-old boy, and I, this, this is my story. It's the only story I've got I can share with you. I remember going to church, being brought up in church, learning about Christ, learning about things that I should. But it was one day sitting on the back row of our church at Northwoods Baptist Church in Shamley, Georgia, as God's Word was being preached, I'll talk about that in a moment, that all of a sudden I was struck inwardly, struck with, with, with the concept that something was wrong in my life. I was convicted about, and I found out later what, the, what I was convicted about. It's called sin, and my sin causes me to fall short of God's glory. That's what God's law does. And by the way, folks, a person will never get saved till they see they're lost. A person will never come to Christ till they see just how far away from God they are. They never will call out for a Savior if they don't see themselves as a sinner. See, some folks think they're too good to be saved. Truth of the matter is, you're too bad to be able to get saved on your own. God has to do something for you to save you because you can't save Yourself, God uses his law to draw us to Christ. Secondly, God uses his word to draw us to Christ. It's amazing to see this, but he does. Paul writing to young preacher Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is found in Christ Jesus. God uses his word to draw us to Christ. It's the Word of God, first of all, that tells us how to be saved. I mean, if you want to know how to get saved, how to get right with God, you go to His Word. In the first service, I started to say, look it up in the yellow pages. You won't find it. I forgot, who has yellow pages anymore? Anybody? I'll put it this way. You won't find how to get saved in Wikipedia. 
It's not there. The world will tell you their concept of how to get saved and how to get right with God, but it's always wrong. There's only one way to find out how to get right with God once you're convicted of your sinfulness. That's the Word of God. It gives us the wisdom that leads us to salvation. It's God's Word that tells us how to get right with God. I also know this. It's the power of the Word being preached and taught that convicts the hearts of men and women. I've seen it time and time again over the years. I remember too, again, my own testimony, sitting on the back row of that church. In fact, I was sitting back there with some of my buddies, minding my business and theirs too. Probably not paying much attention to what the preacher was preaching. But he was faithfully standing behind a pulpit, preaching God's Word. God, and I can't tell you what the text was that he was preaching from, but he was telling our church, he was speaking to our church, he was preaching to our church God's Word, and God used it to grip my heart. And I've seen that happen time and time and time again over the years. There's power in God's Word. God uses it to draw men and people to Christ. I remember one of the first times God taught me that as a pastor. I was on staff at First Baptist Church in Woodstock. This was many years ago before the church exploded to be what it is today. And our pastor happened to be gone one night. I was preaching for him that evening. And I preached a message on discipleship. I do not recall anywhere in that message saying anything evangelistic. I don't ever remember anything saying anything about a lost person coming to Christ. I did not give the plan of salvation per se in that message. And I got to the end of the message, as I almost always do, I gave an evangelistic invitation, but nothing was preached evangelistically. It was a, it was a message on discipling and following Christ. And as soon as I gave that invitation, a young lady that was sitting, our, our church had just sent her aisle, two rows of pews. She was sitting about two-thirds of the way back on the right. As soon as I gave that invitation, she hit the aisle and headed down front. I had no clue who she was. She was a guest that night. When she got down to the front, I asked her why she was coming. And this is what she said. She said, Ken, while I was sitting there listening to you preach from the Bible, God spoke to my heart and I saw that I was a lost sinner and I needed to be saved. Now, I didn't say a word about getting saved that night in that context. But you know who did? The Holy Spirit took it, took his word, took God's word, spoke it to her heart. God used his word to draw her to the Lord Jesus. Again, you think about how you came to Christ. Somewhere, somehow, God used that in the process of bringing you. So God uses the law to bring us to Christ. He uses his word to bring us to Christ. But thirdly, he uses the Holy Spirit to draw us to Christ. This is how he works. Listen, listen to these verses. John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it came from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 16, 8, and he, speaking of the Spirit, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Boy, I found out a long time ago, I can't convict somebody of their sin. Hey, you try to tell somebody in this world we live in today that they're a sinner. See how far you get with them. They don't like to be told they're a sinner. But you know what? You let God tell them. 
it changes the picture. You let God convict them, it changes their heart. You let God bring conviction, you're dealing with a whole different matter at that point in time. They see their sin. They see themselves, who they are without Christ. They see just how undone they are without a Savior. John 6, verse 44, no one, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And how does the Father draw a person? He does it by the Holy Spirit of God. Those of you who have been saved, you know what I'm talking about. Somewhere, somehow. It might have been in a worship service. It might have been at school. It might have been talking to a friend. It might have been at a Billy Graham crusade. It might have been just reading a Bible. Maybe God just spoke to you in your heart. And all of a sudden, he began to knock at your heart's door. There was that still, small voice, that conviction deep within your heart. It wasn't an audible voice necessarily. God wants to speak audibly. I guess he can. But it's that still, small voice where he begins to prick you in your heart. You begin to see your sin. You begin to see your need for a Savior. And only the Spirit of God can produce that in the heart of a person. God uses his law, the Word, and the Spirit to draw us to him. It is the Holy Spirit at work leading us to salvation, and that's the only way you'll ever come. Fact number three about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to indwell our lives. When you come to salvation, when you trust Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell our lives. And this fact has to be understood if we're ever to know the reality of the Spirit-filled life. And folks, I'm not so sure in our churches we understand that. I'm not so sure we really believe that. But that's the truth of it. If you're truly born of God, if you have been born again, you carry within your very being the Spirit of God himself. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Obviously, they didn't know that in Corinth. That's why they were living like they were living. So Paul writes them to remind them, don't you know, Christian, God lives in you? That's what he's saying to them. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, these are, these are powerful verses. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God lives in you if you're saved. Listen to this verse. Ephesians 1.13, in him, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
having also believed you were sealed, past tense, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then Paul writes about the Spirit in Romans, the 8th chapter and verse 9. He says, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Hey, if you're saved today, you've got the Spirit of God living in you. We need to realize that. We need to understand that. We need to realize what that means. It, it really changes the way you live your life when you understand that. Hey, everywhere you go, the Spirit of God goes. Every place you tarry to, he, he goes with you. Every word you say, he says. Every, every sight you see, he sees. Everything you hear, he hears. Kind of changes your perspective about life and living when you understand that. Um, one of my favorite preachers made a great, powerful impact in my life many years ago. Uh, was a man by the name of uh, Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, Dr. Ravenhill was a very small stature man. Very, in fact, he's probably on about five, 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 six maybe. Maybe that big around. He probably didn't weigh 120 pounds soaking wet. But buddy, he wasn't small in stature when he preached. He was, of all the preachers I've had the privilege of listening to over the years, if I had to define a true biblical prophet by a personality, it would have been Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, look up his stuff, read it. It's powerful. Still one of, the, one of the greatest books on revival that's out there, Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, it said of Dr. Ravenhill that he was going out, he was in a church out in California, and that has nothing to do with it, but that just happened to be where he was when he was preaching. And the story is told that as it was his turn to preach, he walked up to the pulpit, and he did what a lot of preachers used to do. You remember, you, you used to see preachers, you, don't, you didn't see me do this, but you used to see preachers take off their watch and lay it right here. I don't know why they did that. They didn't pay no attention to it. Um, <laughs> I don't do that, but I have a watch. I just want y'all to know. Some of y'all don't believe I do, but I do. I don't pay any attention to it much either. But uh, he, he took off his watch, and he, he laid it down right here. And, and Leonard Ravenhill was known for long sermons. And in fact, one of the first times I heard him preach was at First Baptist Church Atlanta when it was downtown. And I remember, in fact, I've got, I've got the cassette tapes to prove it. He preached an hour and 15 minutes plus, his message on Isaiah 6. Whoa, low go. I still remember the outline of it. He was known for long preaching. So he got up to the pulpit, took off his watch, laid it on the pulpit, opened his Bible, got ready to preach, picked his watch back up, looked at it for a moment. He said, folks, we're going to be here a while tonight. I mean, you know it's bad when a preacher's tell you you're going to be here for a while. He said, we're going to be here for a while tonight. So if any of you just feel like in the middle of the sermon you need to stand up and smoke, go ahead, light up. It won't be a problem for me. And he said, you could almost feel the air go out of the church. People, <gasps> did he just say, smoke a cigarette in church? He stopped for a moment, let him chew on it for a second. And then he pointed that long bony finger out there and he said this, some of you think it would be so wrong to smoke a cigarette in this building. God doesn't live in this building. God lives here. This is not the temple of God. This 
is the temple of God. Now, he wasn't trying to get people to smoke in the church. You know that. What he was was trying to make a point. Folks, God is here because we're here. He's promised his presence where two or three have gathered. He'd be right there in the middle of him. Jesus is here this morning because we're here. But we're here. Every one of us carry the presence of God. Jesus is in us. And when we walk out of these doors this morning, we carry the presence of God. He lives in us. He indwells us. It ought to change the way you live. It ought to change the way you look at life. It ought to change what you do, what you say, how you say what you say, where you go, the activities you're involved in. Because everywhere you go, God goes. But God's there for a reason. He's there to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God's Holy Spirit works in us what we cannot work in for ourselves. He works in us so that he can work out of us to make us live like Jesus lives. And I can't do it without him. I can't live like Jesus without his power. I can't act like Jesus without his power. I can't walk like Jesus without his power. I need him. And he lives in me for that very purpose. Vance Abner, you've heard me quote him time and time again. I'm going to quote this and I'm going to wrap up real quick this morning. But Havner said this one time, when are we going to learn that all the wonderful things we read about in the book of Acts was simply the outflow and the overflow of the inflow of the Holy Spirit? And if you're going to live the Christian life victoriously, if you're going to be what God calls you to be, if you're going to walk in Him and serve him faithfully, there's only one way to do it. And that's with him filling your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. It leads me to fact number four about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit desires to be actively involved in our lives. He fills us so that he might be actively involved in our everyday lives. He does not want just to be present. He desires to be president so that he can work through our lives to bring God great glory and honor. Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 2, 6, 13, 16. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The spirit himself testifies without our spirit that we are children of God. That's what he's doing in us. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And by the way, that's the only way you'll ever know them. Hey, we're going to talk about this more next week. But the Holy Spirit desires to lead us. The Holy Spirit desires to guide us in the paths of righteousness. He is the great teacher who gives us understanding into God's Word. Hey, even though God gives the church pastors and teachers 
And there's some wonderful men and women of God that can help us understand better God's Word and how to apply it to our lives. The truth of the matter is, I can't give you understanding spiritually. Only the Spirit of God can teach you things spiritual. You ever try to talk to a lost person who just didn't get it? And by the way, no lost person is going to get it. I mean, you talk to them about the things of God and they look at you like look, a calf looking at a new gate. They don't have a clue. Hey, they can't get it. And that's what bothers me sometimes about Sunday mornings even. There's people who sit out here look like they got a blank stare on their face all Monday morning. They'll go through the motions of a religious service. But they walk out of here and they haven't comprehended one thing spiritual because they don't have the capacity to understand. They've not been born again. There's no appetite. There's no desire. There's no spirit to lead them into spiritual truth. The great teacher gives us understanding. He convicts us of sin when we don't walk in obedience to God. He reproves us when we're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. He comforts our hearts when they are heavy. He establishes us strong in the faith. He empowers our witness to share Jesus with others. He lives in us. And he actively wants to be involved in our lives day to day. And here's the last fact I'll give you this morning. We'll pick up next week. It is the Holy Spirit who desires to control our lives. The Holy Spirit desires to control us daily. You know, when you read through the epistles, you'll find that there are really seven commands given to us regarding how we as believers are to relate to the Spirit of God who lives in us. Three of those commands are in the negative. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about those later. Four of those commands are in the positive. This is what it says. Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit. Day by day, moment by moment, step by step, walk by the Spirit. And notice it says you won't carry out the desires of the flesh if you do. Galatians 5.18 says, be led by the Spirit. You can't be led if you're not leadable. Holy Spirit wants to lead you. You've got to be willing to lead, be led. Thirdly, Galatians 5.25, live by the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Again, 24-7. And then you come to Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of those verses tell us the Holy Spirit, though he is resident in us, he doesn't want to be just resident. He wants to be president. He wants to be in control. He wants to be in control because when I'm in control, I blow it. When I am in control, I fail. When I'm in control, I don't live like I'm supposed to live. But when I've died to myself and I allow him to be in control of my life, he works through me the very life in me and through me the very life of Jesus. That's what he's there for. That's what he wants to do in all of our hearts in our lives. One person put it this way once, the secret of the Christian life is that Jesus Christ is alive in me by the power of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to allow that power to fill, control, and overflow out of me the very person of Christ. It is letting him have all of me in order that he can be all through me. D.O. Moody, you've heard that name. Dale Moody is probably one of the greatest preachers that has ever been a part of the American landscape. 
uh, of, of churches throughout history of our country. Uh, D.L. Moody was a powerful preacher. I've read his uh, well, read autobiographies and biographies about D.L. Moody. What a powerful man of God. Started out as a layman and God shook his life up and used him powerfully. Um, we've read a story once about a group of ministers up in a city up north that was discussing the possibilities of bringing D.L. Moody down to their town and doing an area-wide crusade. And obviously in discussing about it, they were discussing how God had used D.L. Moody in such a powerful way. And they talked about D.L. Moody over and over again. Finally, one young preacher uh, stood up and he had grown kind of weary of them talking about this D.L. Moody. And rather loudly, he screamed out, Moody! Moody, Moody, I'm tired of hearing about him. Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? To which a wise, much older pastor quickly spoke up. And he shared with this young man and the group the following. He said, no, young man, Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. The reason for his greatness is that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And folks, when we allow the Spirit of God who lives in us to control us, God can use us in a powerful way to make a difference for his kingdom here on this earth. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be your children. And thank you for the fact that you've placed your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives to do in us and through us what we can never do for ourselves. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Spirit in my heart that drew me to you, brought me to salvation. Thank you that he called me to Christ. He converted this old sinful heart, caused me to be born again to a living hope in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for his work of grace that empowers us to live day in and day out. Thank you that you work in us to give us what we need to live a life that's pleasing to you. So, Lord, during these days that we're studying through this, help us. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Help us to listen carefully, to evaluate our own hearts and our lives, and most importantly, to get out of the way to let him fill our hearts day in and day out. And, Lord, maybe that person that's sitting here today, even as we've been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now, you're speaking to somebody's heart. You're knocking at their, their heart's door. Lord, they sense that conviction deep down inside. They realize their lostness. They know they're not saved. They know they've never been born again. They know there's never been a time in their life that they've come to faith in God's Son, Jesus. And right now, your Holy Spirit is convicting them. Lord, I pray you'll draw them to yourself. Boy, if you're here today and that's true of you, Maybe even the stillness of this moment, God's knocking in your heart. There's that, there's that conviction deep down inside. You know, you know you're not saved. You know you've never been born again. But boy, there's that desire to, to, to be born again. God's calling you. That's the way he convicts you. It's the way he calls. Just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to be standing down front. Brother Lee's going to be leading us in our, our, our 
invitation song. If you're here, you need to give your heart and your life to Christ, and he's knocking at your heart's door. Let me just ask you, just very quickly, as we begin to sing, step out from where you're standing, make your way down front, take me by the hand. All you need to say is, Pastor Ken, I need to give my heart, my life to Christ. We'll have one of our staff members take you back to the back for just a moment and take God's Word and open it to you and with you and share with you how you can give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Would you do that? Boy, don't walk out of here the same today. Come to Christ. Respond to his call in your heart today. And then, Christian, if God has spoken to you today, boy, I don't know what he's saying to you, but the only way you'll ever get victory and the only way you're going to walk in his fullness is to walk in obedience. You obey what he says to you this day. Father, we commit this time to you now. May we respond to your glory and honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?